Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. I am excited to dive into today's conversation with Akila Satish. Akila is the CEO of a company called Masikna, which focuses on empowering and educating individuals and organizations on metacognition, or the how of thinking, through the use of simulation technology. So they work with founders and managers of organizations and companies to help align the minds and the roles of their management team with the goals of the organization. And then they actually help create a plan for each of them to reach the goals of the organization. Anything related to brain science, I find super fascinating, but this is a very unique organization. We also talked about how the last couple of years have impacted society as a whole. And one of Akila's quotes that she shared on the show today, you'll hear it, is that we are all rowing in the same storm, but we're in different boats. I found this to be so insightful and it's really helped me under, understand and be more compassionate towards people who are really struggling in this day and age. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You with Akila Satish. Today I have with me Akila Satish. Akila, it's so nice to have you with me on The Business of You. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into your story and the work that you're doing, which is so timely right now. If you could start out by sharing your personal backstory and and how you got into the work that you're doing today. So when I was eight years old, I fell in love with science and it was this big light bulb moment for me. I can remember exactly when it happened. I was actually waiting for the clock to move so I could go outside and play at recess. Um, And my teacher wrote something up on the board about the Arctic tundra and the little microbiomes that the Arctic tundra has. And I remember it was amazing to me. I, I was stunned. There were these little bugs that could live in the ice and snow and it was transformative. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I wanna be a scientist. And so for me, that was the moment that sparked my whole career journey. Uh, I followed that passion all the way to studying neuroscience as an undergrad at the University of Michigan and working at the NIH, which was such a dream come true. Uh, And as the further I got along my scientific education, the more I started thinking about how I could have the most impact. And to me, the place where science had enormous impact and I felt I could contribute greatly was actually in the technology space. So I started shifting my focus over into working and learning and investing in science-based startup companies. 
And that's how my journey led to Masikna, which is a science-first technology company. Amazing. Before we dive into your role at Masikna, can you talk a little bit about what you did after you've finished university and how you became an investor? Uh, so I took, uh, I think, one of the more straightforward paths to that. Um, I ran a startup company and I went to business school and that set me up to work at some venture firms. And I really love the investing side of things. Uh, for me, being an operator was something I was just incredibly passionate about. And so that's why I ended up uh, kind of back on the other side of the table operating. Okay. And so you worked in venture capital. Were you focusing on, on science, on companies that were really driven by science? Yes. So I worked in both healthcare venture capital as well as B2B SaaS okay. um, and impact investing. So I had, a, I had the ability to sort of see a bunch of different firms, which was really helpful to me in kind of understanding the types of investment I was interested in, the ways of different ways of looking at an investment opportunity. Okay. Can you share what impact investing is? Sure. Uh, so impact investing, at least at the firm I was at, was really focused on companies that could provide um, both a societal good as well as a financial return. Um, so they were really looking at companies that were both socially conscious, but also profitable. That's great. Um, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't realize that's what it meant, but that's, that's very good to know that the VCs are paying attention to that as well. They are, they are. And I think it's a, it's a really interesting and uh, inspiring part of the venture market for sure. Mm, absolutely. So when did you first learn to, about Masinka? So Masinka has been around for a number of years. It's been very much focused um, on academic research around simulation technology. And one of the things that has always inspired me about the company and about the approach is that it is rooted in science. The technology that is presented to consumers today is focused entirely on the same simulation um, analysis and uh, quantitative rigor that it was 35 years ago. Um, we are very much rooted in a science-first approach. Mm -hmm. And what is the core of your work there? As, as the CEO, it would be fascinating to hear a little bit about your day-to-day Sure. So in my role, uh, I think the, the biggest part for me is I get to read and understand the science that our company is based on. I get to talk to human resource leaders every day that are interested in thinking about how they bring this to their employees for maximum impact. And then I get to talk to my team of incredibly creative individuals on how we take that science and make it something that HR can really use at scale for their employee base without size impact. Um, so I spend a lot of my day, I think, translating uh, between the science, the technology, and sales. Mm -hmm. And what what is your ideal engagement look like with the client at Masinkna? We love to see incremental and lasting change mm -hmm. for organizations that we work with. So what I mean by that is we're not thinking about um, coming in and doing something for two days that is going to suddenly transform the organization for a year. We want to be a partner in the organization and a partner in that journey together. Mm -hmm. So when we work with organizations, we like to do simulation assessments that look at a baseline of where the organization is performing along various measures of metacognition and decision-making. 
And then we partner that assessment with microlearning. So those microlearning um, modules are set up. So they're drips of microlearning over the course of six months to a year. And organizations have the ability to see progress along microlearning goals, reassess with simulations, and overall form a partnership for lasting change. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's science-backed scale, scaling a business or growing a business in some way, shape, or form, right? Through the uh, data, the assessment you do up front. I just want to paraphrase for a second because I want to make sure our audience understands it and and, um, and explaining it to them in terms that'll make sense to them. So when you come on board your team and you're working with a management team, you assess their management team, you help align or define their goals as a company in terms of how they want to grow. And then you start to work with them at a metacognitive level in micro like through micro learning modules to help them reach the goals that they've outlined initially. Is that right? Yeah, that's a, an interesting way of putting it, but it's very accurate. Um, I like to think of it as, you know, you know what people are thinking and you know, maybe who they're thinking and sort of what they reach out to within the organization. We help you understand how they're thinking. And when you understand how someone is thinking, you have a better sense of where to place them on the team for the best growth potential for the team and the organization. So if you have someone who is a highly strategic thinker, you want that person in the you know, annual meetings thinking about where the company is going to go next. If you have someone who is um, highly productive and that is their sort of mind frame around decisions is they're very focused on what metrics to hit, you want that person setting up your KPIs. You want to have your best players, not in terms of um, skill sets, as we would usually think of them, um, but in terms of how they think in the right positions to accelerate your organization forward. Do you then also do assessments on the individuals, right? You must. Essentially, you're putting the right players in the right seats. So you might be moving things around on the management team, tying people into their strengths right? Moving people into areas of their strengths. So we have, um, we have the ability to assess the individual and um, the managers can then take that information and say, okay, we want to put that person in play to their strengths, or we really need that person where they are. Let's put in the micro learning to help them reach the level that they need to reach with whatever the measure is that they're focused on. And our measures are relatively diverse. There's things like breadth of approach, advanced strategy, information management. There's a wide variety among those measures in terms of roles and responsibilities matching. What are some of the pain points a company's typically experiencing that causes them to reach out to you? You know, I have to say a lot of our clients tend to be more proactive in general because they're looking for something different. You know, a lot of companies have always done a psychometric survey assessment or they've always done a, you know, written or an online like math assessment, like a mathematical aptitude kind of test or something like that. Um, And so the companies that seek us out in general, I think tend to be more proactive because they're looking at their, their data and they're looking at their employee landscape and they're saying, you know, that is only giving us a piece of the puzzle. We're missing something. We have candidates coming to us with identical resumes, identical aptitude tests, relatively similar psychometric profiles and one succeeds and the other is 
not succeeding as well. So what's going on there? And so they're already looking for that X factor of metacognition. These are HR leaders who are very thoughtful about this. They're very strategic. They're thinking about, you know, how do we make sure that we can bring in both of those candidates, have both of them thrive within the organization? What's going on there? Why is that not happening? Um, they're HR leaders who are thinking through issues around diversity and who are saying, you know, we see that people tend to score differently on 360 evaluations within our organization. And there's some biases that are creeping into our process. Um, we know these people are more than the 360 evaluations or the, you know, their own personal assessments. What's going on? What is that X factor? And it's typically something that metacognition and a bias-free assessment like the simulation can help with. And so those are the HR leaders that come to us typically. And those organizations um, tend to not necessarily be in crisis, but also tend to be um, in positions of strategic inflection, which I love. So they also tend to be organizations that are growing rapidly and are thinking about these problems very thoughtfully because they see that inflection point coming up toward them. Right, right. Is um, is your clientele to again, again, like some of your ideal clients? Do you find that they're from a particular industry? Uh, actually, no. They're across stage. I would say that um, we don't we don't see a particular industry over indexing necessarily. Um, we do definitely have a lot of work that we've done historically in healthcare, so that's always been a, an industry that we're close to, and obviously, given my background, we're very close to. Um, but in general, the simulation and this idea of measuring and assessing how employees think is context-free. So we're not interested in what they're thinking. We're interested in how they're thinking. And that is a context-free thing. So the same simulation can apply from you know, the, the military to a healthcare organization to a bank. It, it can be the same um, simulation that we're running. It's just different measures that we might be pulling that are more important for people. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Akila, let's switch gears for a second and talk a little bit more about you personally. What would you say are the attributes of your personal brand or aspects of your personality that that you're using, you know, day to day in, in your CEO role? Oh, gosh, I would I would hope a lot of them. <laughs> I I think that you know, one of the things I love about being a CEO and one of the things that really has drawn me into this role and into some of the other hats I wear advising entrepreneurs and founders um, really is the ability to work with people and see people grow over time. Um, so I love my team at Masikna. They're incredible. And I, I always want to kind of give them that shout out because I see the work that they do and I see the growth. And for me as a CEO, one of my favorite things is seeing, is seeing my team grow, is seeing them learn new skills, is seeing them, um, you know, be in a place that I think is, is comfortable and they feel there's mutual trust and respect, but they also have that sort of like uncomfortable push to grow and, and do incredible things every day. And so that is really exciting to me. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that, at least in my role, I think I think of quite a bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you think your employees would describe you? They would say wonderful things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course. I, you know, I, I think it's, um, I think that's a great question. And I think managers often 
have blind spots when it comes to how their employees perceive things. And so one of the things that we do internally that I actually think is is probably a really good practice um, is I try to sit down and when we do have, um, you know, situations in which people are more heated or it feels more tense in the room, um, I always try to sit down and, and think about what elements of stress are actually playing out for everyone at that moment. Um, I have a team that has gone through, you know, the pandemic, like every other team out there, but really, I think we have been able to keep the stress at bay outside of our organization to a large degree because we're aware of what those stress elements are. And so from that perspective, um, I think we have a very educational culture and we really drink our own Kool-Aid quite a bit. So we have conversations where, you know, we break down stress at Masika into variables of VUCAD. And I look at my management style through that lens of VUCAD. And there are things that I know as a manager that if I do, will cause my team angst. So for example, one of the VUCAD elements is delayed feedback. And that is a really easy trap to fall into because you're running around, you have something that is, you know, pressing for you to take care of, and you don't actually get the chance to respond to something that was sent to your desk for review. You don't get that moment to say, oh, that's great. Or, oh, let's talk about that. You don't give them any feedback. So let's say you get that email or that Slack message with something to review at 10 a.m. and you don't get back to it until three. For the employee that's waiting there, that's a long time. And especially in remote environments, it is a very stressful time, particularly if it's hitting them on a day when maybe the world has dealt them another VUCAD out, like complexity, for example, which we've all seen a lot of. So as a manager, that's something that is within my control. I can do my best to make sure that when someone sends me something to review, I say, I took a quick look at it. It looks like this, this part of it I really liked. And I'm going to come back and review these other parts later. I'll get back to you at this time. Even just telling people what that time is changes everything for them because they feel acknowledged. They realize that their work has been seen. They know that I'm coming back to it and they can set it aside mentally. And so I think that's one of the managerial things that we've really, I've been really aware of throughout COVID because if I'm not aware of it, I'm causing my team stress. And that's the last thing I want to do. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's so spot on. Um, we are a fully remote team and have been for 14, almost 14 years now. And and we'll have discussions internally, too, around some similar things. And there are people on our team who, if they don't hear from you and, you know, however long, they'll drop another note in Slack and, and say, I'm on pins and needles. Let me know what you're thinking, you know, and in your mind, right? Like you've just gone on to the next thing to your point. So I, I think your, your tips are, are really helpful. Pre, pre um, interview here, we were talking about stress and the role it's played in growing companies the last few years in particular. Can you share some of what you're seeing in, in the work that you're doing and also share some ideas and tips to help teams better perform in high, high stress levels? Sure. So I think as COVID has, has unfolded for all of us, we've gone through various stages of stress with COVID. There was sort of the immediate stress. And then there have been, you know, with every wave that has happened, 
increased stress and decreased stress and it's gone up and down. And that's really hard on people um, because not only is it stressful, it's also bringing volatility into the picture. I mentioned those VUCAT elements. Volatility is the first VUCAT element. And we often joke that where one of those elements goes, the others just tend to follow because it's very hard to have volatility without also having a little bit of uncertainty encroaching into that. Um, the elements kind of do tend to follow each other and then uh, they really become this sort of umbrella of stress over you. And so on our team, there's a couple things that we do personally to kind of mitigate that stress. Um, the first is, like I said earlier, being really aware of which VUCAT elements we're inflicting on each other unintentionally. Um, and so one of the challenges for me as a manager is addressing the delayed feedback, like I mentioned, being really clear about things that could could be uncertain for my team, could be ambiguous for my team, or could just be overly complex. The more clarity I provide, the more I can take care of those middle three VUCAT elements of uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Um, and then with regard to volatility, the best way to handle that on my team is to really make sure that as much as I can, I'm reducing sudden things from happening to us, whether that is a sudden client engagement or a sudden um, thing that happens and suddenly drives up the work on our team. Making sure that I am upfront about that as a manager and making sure that that is something that as much as I can control, I can control for my team has been really helpful because then, yes, we have external VUCAT elements all around us and in our lives, but we don't have them internally. And so then how do you deal with the external ones that you have no control over? Um, there's a couple of different things. So one of the things I recommend everyone on my team do is set up routines, not um, sort of like very stiff routines. I say make them flexible routines. So for example, I love drinking chai when, I'm, when I wake up in the morning. That's part of my morning routine. Um, but I try to make it flexible in that if I don't get tea, I'm okay with a hot chocolate. Like it's a warm beverage and that's a much lower requirement. And the reason why I say that is because during the pandemic, we also have faced so many supply shortages. If your thing was a particular kind of cereal and that cereal was out of stock, now your, your routine is damaged and that's even more damaging for you stress-wise. So I urge people have those routines that make sense to you, but have them be broad enough that the world can get to them. Um, and then the second thing that I, I always add to that is think about the information that you're consuming and where you're consuming it from. So again, that really helps with those middle three elements as much as you can. And the idea there is look at information sources that are nuanced, are multidimensional, are credible, and understand that everywhere you get information from is another input into your stress-logged, tired brain. And so while it is great to seek out more and more sources of information, oftentimes when you are under a lot of stress, it does make sense to sort of have a plan in your mind already about who are you going to trust for this information and what does that look like? Who are the three to five sources you're going to go to for that moment of stress? And so I always think about it as, you know, if if you have um, a sick child or a sick pet or a sick parent or someone in your family is ill, 
you have an idea of who those three to five people are that you go to instantly, right? You have an idea of, of where you Google, right? Usually, hopefully it's a credible source. Um, you have an idea of who the doctor is to call and you have an idea of who that family member is or who that friend of a friend is who's really up on healthcare that you reach out to. You have that list. And so build that list for all the other things in your life because when the stress hits, you can't make that list then. It's, it's too late. Then you're spiraling. Yeah. So kind of have that centered ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So you're not in crisis mode, really, right? I mean, or when you are in crisis mode, you've got your, your action plan. Exactly. And you know where to go for the resources that you need. I think that is incredibly valuable. Um, and again, you want to have more than one resource, but you just want to have an idea of, of what that is for whatever events. And I think we all sort of have these mental lists, but taking the time to sit down and, and actually formulate and actually think about it can really help you in those moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Akila, can you break down exactly what's happening in our brain when we're under stress, we're in that crisis mode? So I think it's a great question. I think everyone has sort of a different um, trigger for crisis mode, if you will. And so when I talk about the VUCAD elements and I talk about each of them in turn, everyone has their own VUCAD foe. They each have their own element that is the hardest to deal with. Um, So for some people, complexity can be the hardest. They want to see things that are simple and clear and straightforward. And if it is complicated, if it is not able to follow a straight linear sort of path, that is very disconcerting for them. And they tend to, uh, I think, be more likely to be susceptible to information, to disinformation, um, because they're looking for something straightforward and the actual reality may be very complex. So that is, that is tough. Um, and that's true for some people. For other people, something like delayed feedback can completely kill you, right? Like if you have to wait for something, we all know these people, they cannot wait, right? Like it is incredibly hard to wait. Delayed feedback is really tough on them. They can just sit there and spiral for three hours waiting for feedback from their boss or manager, right? Like that to them is the biggest crisis trigger. And so what I think people need to do is start watching themselves in those stressed out moments and understand what is actually throwing you off. So is it, is it like something happened suddenly? Because that's usually volatility. Is it something being uncertain? Like you might win a million dollars in lottery tomorrow. You might not. Like, is that the kind of thing that really stresses you out? Um, is, is it something that is at a distant time point, like delayed feedback? Is it something like the complexity of situation? Is it ambiguity? Ambiguity is a very tricky one um, where it isn't that you don't know if something's going to be a yes or a no. It's not a binary answer. It's a much more loose kind of thing. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a difference between asking if there's an end to the pandemic and actually like talking about, well, could there be an end, right? What does that end look like? It's a little bit more nuanced in terms of thinking about all the different possibilities and all the what ifs. That's the one that gets me for, to be honest. Um, but everyone has their own bootcad though. And one of the things I think that we don't recognize about stress is it's not just stress as like this wall hitting us. It really is this individual stress element 
that triggers us. And then we have a full stress response to it. And once you get kind of into that element and you get volatility is there and you're really struggling with it, suddenly it's a lot easier for everything else to show up. Um, and then you're sort of in a, a full-blown stress moment. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing, but please correct me if I'm wrong, that a lot of your micro um, modules might be around self-awareness and, and compassion um, and also being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Is is that right? Or is there, because everything you're talking about here is just making me think, gosh, you really have to have a high level of self-awareness to be, to know where you are, to identify your VUCAD foe, but also to be able to kind of stop yourself from going off the cliff at some point, right? Within your day-to-day functioning. I think you definitely do. I think you can also set up safeguards for when you're not self-aware because the reality is that we're not all going to be self-aware all of the time. And so what I, what I think about is there are some safeguards you can set up. So for volatility, it's definitely routines. Um, I think there's, and, and we have on our website, we have a stress management plan that kind of walks you through what the general broad safeguards are for each VUCAD element. I mean, it's a really helpful tool because then you, you don't have to be self-aware 24-7. You just have to be self-aware for the five minutes you fill out the questionnaire, right? And that's a lot easier for all of us to do. Um, our microlearning deals with measures of metacognition, which is how you think and Understanding how you think does set off that self-awareness light bulb for you. Um, I think each of the micro learnings takes, takes people along a journey where they do have the opportunity to discover and understand more of themselves, which does in turn improve that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Since you're dealing with leaders in various capacities through your work, and again, the, the how aspect of their day-to-day, how they're making decisions. How do you help people overcome or manage just decision-making fatigue? That's an amazing question. I'm really glad you asked that because I think it is something that has crept up on a lot of us, um, especially during COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Me, I feel it. It's, it's huge. Um, and so I think, there's a couple different ways of thinking about decision-making fatigue overall. Um, one of them that I think is a little unexpected is to really view it as a, as a side symptom of burnout, right? If you're really struggling with making decisions, there might be a sort of underlying ebb of burnout, maybe not a whole burnout symptom, but just a little bit of burnout creeping into your life. And um, the reason why I say that is because I think when we tend to be in that state of, of exhaustion, extreme exhaustion is sort of how I think about burnout. I think about burnout as extreme cognitive exhaustion. And if you are extremely cognitively exhausted, one of the early indicators of that is actually decision-making fatigue, which is scary. Um, one of the ways that I actually recommend people first cope with that, if they're seeing it as a symptom, is to change up their schedule. And I know that sounds really... Uh, sort of simple and burnout is this really big problem. But um, if you think about your schedule on a day-to-day basis and 
you're starting to struggle with doing work when you're supposed to be doing work or relaxing when you're supposed to be relaxing or making decisions when you're supposed to be making decisions, there's a good chance that your internal clock has just shifted a little bit or just needs to be sort of moved around a little bit during the day. And so one of the things I suggest is wake up a little bit earlier than you usually would, switch up that circadian rhythm and start to see when you feel more in the flow of your day, of making decisions. Don't force it. Um, And it's really important not to force it. It is really important to instead take a step back and let your day flow and make decisions when you feel ready to make decisions. That may mean that you don't make decisions for 24 hours or maybe 48 hours. But then when you are ready to make a decision, take a note of, is that decision-making like juice that you suddenly have happening during your usual workday? Or has your workday just kind of shifted a little bit on you? Um, And obviously, not all workplaces are going to be conducive to shifting your entire workday crazy. But it's an interesting place to just start from, to start to examine what may be going on and see if you can make some shifts over a weekend or over a couple of days off to see whether you can get yourself back on track for the regular work week. Mm -hmm. What do you think the impact has been of so many people now working from home that weren't normally working from home? Do you think that's impacted some of their decision-making abilities too? Because now there's such little separation between personal life and work life. I think the biggest way it's impacted people's decision-making abilities actually is they're there is more isolation. And as a result of that, you're not seeing and interacting with as many people as you used to, even if you're on Zoom all day. It's a very different interaction. And so I think that that is something that we're all kind of dealing with the ramifications of. Um, And so I think there's sort of like this social decision-making aspect of us that has been a little bit on hiatus during COVID and needs to start coming back and will start coming back as you know, we move into more of an endemic state with COVID as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This has been so fascinating. I know uh, you mentioned you have some great tools on your website that people could tap into. The stress management guide, right, was one of them. It's, and there's also something else you wanted to share with our audience? Yeah, there is. Um, so there's a stress management guide that'll walk people through VUCAD and what you can do at each stage of VUCAD to help yourself. So as I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to be fully self-aware when you're in a moment of stress. Uh, It's a lot easier when you're relaxed and calm to think about what you could do in a moment of stress and set up those safeguards for you. Um, So that's really what the VUCAD planner is meant to do for you. It's meant to be that stress management guide that you can fill out on a calm, sunny day and come back to when you're in need of it. We also have a decision readiness guide, uh, which I think is really exciting because it is an opportunity for people to see if they're under stress before they make a big decision. And we've seen uh, countless times over the past few months that people don't make great decisions under stress. And so if you don't have to make a big decision and you're under a lot of stress, sometimes the best policy is to actually wait rather than making a big decision that you may otherwise regret. Yeah, I remember reading, I think it was on the topic of grief, where you're not supposed to make any big decisions after you've lost a loved one, for example. So so this makes complete sense to what you're sharing. We should have done this a little earlier, but um, there's no time like the present. VUCAD is a military term, right? 
So VUCA is something VUCA. that's been around for yes. a while. VUCAD is actually um, the founder of Masikna, Dr. Stryford's acronym, um, where it's VUCA, but he added in the D for delayed feedback. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And where can people find the assessment and the guide on the Masikna website? Uh, they're both on the website. I can send you links. Okay, perfect. And we'll add those to the show notes. Akilo, this has been so informative. Where is the best place for people to learn about you who may want to hire your company to work with them? And I know you're very active on, on boards as well and love working with startups. So any information you want to share today around, you know, for that specific audience too, please feel free. Sure. Uh, so LinkedIn is a great place to reach out to me as is the Mystique website um, for anything that is Mystique related. <laughs> Okay, great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.